Exercise actually increases neurotransmitters in the ADHD brain, and it does this immediately, just like ADHD medication does, but better because it balances these neurotransmitters. It doesn't make you smarter, but what it does is it puts your brain in an optimal position for learning. It basically improves brain plasticity. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 157 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women, and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. So let me start out by wishing you all a happy new year. I do want to remind you that my planning system, AOK Every Day, is available. I built it using a series of cards, and my premise is that we struggle with planners because out of sight is out of mind. And what do you have to do with a typical planner? Yeah, you have to find the correct month, then you have to find the correct week, and then you have to find the right day, right? Who has time for that? Often we forget that we even have a planner. Because this is a digital download, that does mean that you're going to have to take it to your local printer. We include instructions for uh, to do that over at Staples, and you can upload it to them in 10 or so minutes. It goes really quickly. Plus, when you purchase, I'm going to show you how to use the system, which is all based around positive emotion. The reason you can't use a traditional planner is because there's too much negative emotion around the typical planner, right? You don't know how to break your goals down into doable tasks. You have way too much floating around in your brain to even know where to start. 
And you never know when you're actually going to feel like doing any of those things on your to-do list. So how can you schedule them? So when you purchase the planning system, watch my video and very simple written instructions. But I want to be really clear, this planner is for you if you struggle to use planners with any consistency. It is not for you if you've been successful with planners and planning. You're just going to waste your money. You're going to waste your time. And I don't want you to do that. Okay, so you can either go to my show notes at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash podcasts with an S for more information about AOK every day, or you can go directly to spyhappy.me forward slash planner. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is I am going to read a review. I haven't done that in a while, but I'm only going to read one because it's a long one. But I know what this reviewer said is going to resonate with a lot of you. Her name's Ashlow Webb, by the way. Okay, and this is what she says. I have all the love for you in this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for this episode in this podcast as a whole. I have been diagnosed ADHD and dyslexic since I think the fourth grade. Just this year, maybe in April or May of 2021, I realized how badly I was struggling with all things life-related. I didn't have a clue as to why I was having such a hard time in so many areas because my life is pretty much perfect. I have everything I want or could ever need, but I was just not feeling like I was ever good enough or happy or accomplished as I wanted to be. I got to a point where I didn't even attempt to think or try to set a goal for myself, mostly because I knew I wouldn't ever actually follow through. I have such amazing ideas about a lot of things people couldn't even imagine and have the opportunity to actually pull it off. But I would set the plan, and I mean write it all out in amazing detail with beautiful colored pens and paper, and hyper-focus on it for a day or two. And then I would go to bed that night. I would wake up, and it was completely not even a thought in my brain. Then two weeks, months, or however long after, I'd come across this fabulous and gorgeous handwritten plan and be like, oh yeah, wow, how and why did I completely forget about this until now? I really wanted to do this and I still do, but then I'd feel dumb for not following through for myself and anyone else that I sucked in to help me actually seriously do it this time. And I just talked myself out of it altogether. I don't know how I even started to explore and learn more about why I am the way I am. I think it was because I had been just struggling and I decided that I needed to get myself more organized and found this amazing podcast for ADHD. I had no clue that everything I have always been doing and the way I just operated all these years was because of my ADHD and dyslexia, not just how my personality was or that I I just can't pay attention, unmotivated in things I thought I needed to be more into as a wife and mother, forgetful in so many ways I shouldn't be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You are such a blessing to me and my family. You just have no idea how many light bulbs have gone off in my ADHD brain. The content and guests you have on your podcast are really such a saving grace in me feeling like I can actually just be me and love myself with all the craziness, fun, artistic, creative, life-loving, and natural happiness I had lost for a few years. And for people just like me to feel like we aren't alone and thinking maybe losing our minds way too early in life. 
I'm just so glad to just laugh at myself now while improving, knowing I'm actually really a freaking cool wife and mom of three daughters. I cannot thank you enough. Now, I want you to think about this. So we're at the end of the review. This is me now talking. Do you see what Ashla Webb did there? Yeah. She stopped beating herself up. She started figuring out where she felt positive emotion. And that forced her to start focusing on her strengths, like how fun she is, how artistic and creative she is, how much she loves life and just being herself and loving all of it. That's positive emotion that she now feels not only about her life, but about herself. And that's an indicator of all of the things that she needs to do more of, right? Ashla Webb just became more of Ashla Webb. And if she can do that, so can you. I loved it. Thank you again, Ashla Webb. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about the best ADHD treatment if medication doesn't work for you or you simply don't want to take medication. But before we go there, I just want to say, again, I am not against medication at all. Recently, a podcast reviewer rated this podcast two little tiny stars. Now, two little tiny stars is much better than no little stars, right? Or one little star. So I'm going to thank her for that. But what she said is that she'd enjoyed the content and she said that it had been a wealth of information for her to learn from, but she felt that I was biased on medication and the impact it can have on people based on my negative experience with medication. And she was upset that my point of view takes precedence. Well, first of all, it's my podcast right? So of course my point of view is going to take precedence. But that said, I am so not against medication at all. If I could take it, I would whenever I had to do something that is really difficult for me, like writing this book that I need to write and that I keep talking about. But because it doesn't work for me, that doesn't mean that I'm against medication. My son has taken medication with much success. I've also recently heard experts talking about how parents are so worried about medicating young children for ADHD, but because of neuroplasticity, maybe that's the best time to medicate them so they can learn how to learn and their brains can then actually build new neuropathways and then perhaps they will no longer need the stimulant medication long-term. That was actually my son's experience. He struggled to find a medication that worked, right? We tried his freshman year. Um, I think we tried Adderall first and then Ritalin, and it ended up being pretty bad. It sunk him into a lot more anxiety and um, some depression. But then his freshman year of college, he decided to try Vyvanse. And this is what he told me after one semester of being on Vyvanse. He said, I don't need it anymore because it taught me what I need to do to get through school. So today, if he's got a heavy finals week and he's studying a subject he has no real interest in, he might use his Vyvanse, but he doesn't really use it any other time because he says, I don't need it. It taught me what my brain needs to do to be able to study and to get good grades, okay? So I don't know what else I can do to make it clearer that I am not against medication. I have literally seen it change lives almost overnight. I just really believe that you have to know what you're taking 
And it's a rare person who doesn't have side effects, and especially with kids and even more so with teenagers, just pay attention to how the medication is affecting them. That's all I'm saying. If they're acting different, if they seem disconnected, if they seem more anxious or stressed or unhappy or, heaven forbid, depressed, pay attention. And I don't care if they're teenagers or they're at a new school or they're around new friends. You know, we tend to write all this stuff off as, oh, it's this or, oh, it's that. Just pay attention. It may be the medication. And the other thing that I want to say is medication absolutely cannot be the only thing. We know that pills don't teach skills. These kids need to learn skills. So, Just because medication doesn't work for me doesn't mean I am against medication. And just because medication doesn't work for me, I felt like I had to find something else that did. And since my ADHD diagnoses, I've really noticed the importance of exercise in my life. I've realized that my entire life, I have been involved in some form of exercise. At seven, I started ballet. When the running craze was going on, I remember I was running. In college, I started into bodybuilding. I think that is the most ADHD thing you can do. In fact, I've yet to meet a woman who's in bodybuilding who um, is not ADHD. I taught aerobics in college. I had this little aerobics company. And after that, I was basically a gym rat. I took a little break in between the gym for about four years where... I was really involved with Bikram yoga. And I'm telling you, I have never pulled more things than in Bikram yoga. Even though I was probably in the best shape of my life, and I think for my brain, it was amazing. My sense of focus, my everything just worked like a fine, um, what would we say? Like a Swiss watch, right? But I was constantly walking around because I had, you know, with my shoulder up or holding my back because I was constantly pulling things. So Bikram yoga, what you do is you're doing yoga in a, I think it was about a, I don't know, anywhere from 110 to 114 degree room. So you become so flexible that I think you, you just overdo it. But I got to tell you, nothing did more for my brain than Bikram yoga. So when I was a gym rat, I used to always go to the gym at the end of the day. Once I was diagnosed with ADHD, however, I started using exercise more as medicine, right? So I turned my schedule around. I created a small gym in my home so that first thing in the morning, that is just how I start my day. And what I do is I combine 30 minutes of aerobic exercise and about 15 minutes of weight training. But everything I do is very simple. I have a Peloton. And um, I also have a treadmill and then a weight machine and a bunch of free weights, but that's pretty much it. I do not work out in my home gym on the weekends, um, but I always try to do something, right? I try to go on a hike, go out in nature. I love to garden. I'm, I'm on six acres, so it's really easy to do that. And what I know is that Exercise helps me with everything from focus to anxiety to mood. You know, my cortisol levels, I just know that they're highest in the morning. Um, Most of our cortisol levels are higher in the morning. I also had mine tested. 
And I can wake up feeling pretty unsettled, but once I'm done exercising, I feel great. So it's a way to start the day out right, and it allows me total control over how I feel. And I've known all my life that exercise works, but I wanted to know why. So that is what we are going to talk about today. We're going to talk about ADHD and exercise. And the reason I chose this subject is I thought about if you're having great success with medication, but you want even more progress, or if you can't take medication and you're struggling with what to do next, and so you're not exercising, it is, in my opinion, the number one best thing that you could do to change your life over this next year. So it seemed like the perfect podcast to start 2022 off with. Okay. So I know that when I exercise, I literally don't struggle to concentrate on anything. And I shudder to think about what would have happened to me if I had not taken ballet as a child. Now, there are all kinds of reasons that ballet is problematic, starting with point shoes. My parents literally sent me to the podiatrist every month for probably a good year because they wouldn't let me go on point because they were so worried about my feet. And so ultimately, I only spent, oh, probably probably six months on point, even though all my friends had been on point for years and years. So thank you to my parents. But I'm also convinced that ballet taught me how to get into my body to control my mind. It taught me how to focus. And I'm convinced that it grew neuropathways in my brain that weren't there initially. So let's just back up a little bit. We know that our ancestors were movers, right? To survive, we were constantly on the move. We were hunting prey. We were finding water. Today, though, what are we doing? We're usually sitting at a desk, just like I'm doing right now, and not eating very well, right? And this lack of movement is really at the expense of our brains. For those of us with ADHD, it's even worse because we really need our body to move in order to function well and remain healthy. And so the best book that I've read on all of this is Spark by John Rady. Rady is a psychiatry professor at Harvard Medical School. I think he's still there. He also has um, ADHD, and he co-authored Driven to Distraction and the new book ADHD 2.0 with Edward Hallowell. They both have ADHD. They're both, I would say, the top experts in ADHD. They have been doing this in the world. They've been doing this for decades. Through a combination of stories, interviews, and research, Rady concludes that frequent moderate to high-intensity cardio permanently improves physical, mental, and psychological health. It reduces anxiety for all people. And in Britain, it's the first line of defense before medication for depression. In the U.S., it's vastly underused. Of course, what's our first line of defense? Yep, medication. And it's probably comments like that that get me tagged with an anti-med moniker what we were talking about before. But again, I'm not against medication. Let's just first see if there's something else that might work equally as well or almost as well, because meds also have symptoms, right? And I often feel like we're playing whack-a-mole. We relieve the symptoms we are struggling with only to end up dealing with new symptoms that are even worse. And I don't know about you all, but I have never had a psychologist or a psychiatrist tell me or my son to exercise. And my point is simply that the medical profession needs to learn about treatments in addition to medication. And I personally think 
exercise is probably the number one treatment that they should be talking about when they're prescribing ADHD medication. So for decades, we've heard that we need exercise for a healthy body, right? And it turns out that we also need exercise for a healthy brain. And beyond that, we need exercise to learn. Yeah, to learn better. Exercise leads to an increase in the level of neurotransmitters and happy hormones like dopamine and norepinephrine, serotonin, and endorphins in the brain. And what is ADHD caused by? Well, we don't know exactly for sure what the exact cause is, but research does indicate that it's an imbalance of neurotransmitters, chemical messengers in the brain, primarily dopamine. Exercise also sharpens our focus and it improves our mood, our concentration, and our motivation. So we've talked about this before in other podcasts, but motivation is biological. It has nothing to do with a weak character or a moral failing. It is pure biology. So I'm going to back up a little bit. In 1990, a landmark study proved that ADHD stems from a biological irregularity. PET scans measuring brain activity showed that the brains of adults with ADHD, well, they work differently than those brains without ADHD. John Rady was seeing his ADHD patients, and he started to realize that a lot of them were smart, high-performing, high-functioning professionals. They didn't fit the ADHD stereotype, and no one was talking about them. They were successful, and they had discovered on their own that they could use exercise as a way of self-medicating so they could be more productive. And I'm one of these people. Again, you know, I did ballet, and I ran, and bodybuilding, and aerobics, and I thought of exercise as a way to burn off my excess energy, to look good, to feel better. But I didn't put two and two together and realize that the reason it made me feel better was because it helped me focus better, think more clearly, cleared my mind, motivate me until I was diagnosed with ADHD. So we know that dopamine and norepinephrine regulate the attention system, right? And these are the same neurotransmitters that stimulant medication releases to help us pay attention and focus better. Exercise actually increases these neurotransmitters in the ADHD brain, and it does this immediately just like ADHD medication does, but better because it balances these neurotransmitters. Again, you know, I'm really sensitive to medication. I'm also a slow metabolizer, so I need a lower dose of everything that involves my brain, right? Any kind of medication that's going to affect my brain or anybody's brain, I need much, much lower doses of it. I can't get my dose of stimulant medication high enough to have it positively affect my ADHD symptoms because it creates so much serious anxiety. So these medications, these stimulant medications actually make my ADHD symptoms much worse and they make me feel so completely unbalanced. Exercise, however, it increases and balances all of these neurotransmitters perfectly for me. Exercise, you'll be interested to know as well, also reduces our startle reflex. Now, do you know what I mean when I say startle reflex? So if someone were to come up behind me and I didn't see them coming and they would just say, hey, Tracy, I would literally jump out of my skin. So get this, a high startle reflex is common among us ADHDers. We have highly sensitive nervous systems. And the other thing is a high startle reflex is also an indicator of anxiety. Now, the good news is, do you know that psychopaths don't startle? 
So at least we know with our ADHD brains, we're not psychopaths, right? (laughs) Anyway, exercise also helps us to better regulate our emotions and it makes us less irritable. Exercise can relieve stress. It can boost our mood. It can calm our mind. And it also helps to work off all of this excess energy and aggression that many of us with ADHD have. So what about learning? This is really interesting. There is a town called Naperville. It's uh, in Illinois near Chicago. And it was written about in Spark. So in 2003, the school noticed that some of their students were struggling with reading. The gym teachers at the Naperville high schools created a zero-hour PE class so these students could participate in an academic reading class. The PE class was right before the academic reading class. What the school wanted to do is they wanted to test and see if exercise could help students learn better. So what happened is the students worked out before class using treadmills and other exercise equipment. And the goal was they had to reach their targeted heart rate zones for uh, 25 minutes. They also wanted the students to understand how and why exercise helps the brain function. So this program made their students the fittest in the nation, but it also made them very smart. Academically, Naperville High School is ranked one of the top schools in the state, despite the fact that they spend much less money per pupil than other high schools in their district. The school then decided to schedule students' toughest academic subjects right after PE. They also put bikes and balls right in the classroom. Even in reading class, the kids were constantly moving. And the test results were incredible. Reading scores almost doubled and math scores went up 20%. So what this study showed is that exercise doesn't make you smarter, but what it does is it puts your brain in an optimal position for learning. It basically improves brain plasticity. There is no brain function that exercise doesn't affect in a positive way. So let's talk about ADHD. Well, in those of us with ADHD, exercise helps us focus, concentrate, and learn better, particularly exercise that involves structured movement like martial arts. And I'm going to talk more about this in a little bit. A dose of exercise is like taking a dose of stimulant medication like Ritalin or Adderall. Exercise, in essence, it does the same thing for the ADHD brain as medications do. Second, over time, exercise helps build up the machinery to increase the amount of neurotransmitters in the brain. Now, Rady isn't entirely sure how exercise primes the brain for learning, but in lab studies with mice and humans, exercise is shown to prompt the brain to produce greater amounts of a protein called BDNF, which he likens to miracle grow for the brain. BDF stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And what it does is it encourages brain cells to sprout synapses, which form the connections that the brain needs to learn. It also strengthens cells and protects them from dying out. BDNF promotes the creation of new brain cells. When you exercise, in essence, you are growing your brain. BDNF promotes the creation of new brain cells. So when you exercise, you're actually growing your brain. With regular exercise, you can raise the baseline levels of dopamine and norepinephrine by laying new neuropathways in the brain. Exercise also plays a role in neurogenesis. 
What it does is it produces new brain cells in middle-aged and older adults, so it protects against age-related cognitive decline and the onset of certain brain diseases like Alzheimer's. MRI scans show that walking as few as three days a week for six months increases the volume of the prefrontal cortex in older adults. The prefrontal cortex, remember, is what controls our executive functions, right? It helps us plan and focus. It helps us with motivation and emotion. So the bottom line is that when you exercise, you're increasing your ability to absorb knowledge and also to learn things, right? Working out is perhaps the most positive and efficient way to also reduce hyperactivity and inattention from ADHD. Surprisingly, one of the best treatment strategies for ADHD involves establishing extremely rigid structure. Look, as much as we balk about it, remember, we actually thrive with structure. So what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about Exercise like martial arts or any highly structured form of exercise like ballet or figure skating or gymnastics. We're also talking about less traditional sports like rock climbing, mountain biking, skateboarding. Those work as well. What you need is complex movements plus heavy exertion. So the heavy exertion is the aerobic activity, right? It gets the heart rate up. And then the complicated movements stimulate thinking. So what you're doing is you're challenging the brain and the body at the same time. All your brain cells are working. And when your brain cells are working, they increase neurotransmitter activity like dopamine and BDNF, right? And that improves attention and focus. So what we're doing is we're changing how our brain cells communicate with each other. And the thought behind why these highly structured activities work so well for those of us with ADHD is that they tap into the focusing power of the fight or flight response. We're talking about the amygdala, right? Which is where our emotions are regulated. So you have to pay attention if you're on a skateboard, right? So you don't kill yourself. So you're on high alert. I think what John Rady says is it's do or die. And because you're on high alert, you really are paying attention, right? So there's an overlap, or I should say there's a lot of overlap between attention and movement. They share overlapping pathways, which is probably why these activities well, work so well for ADHD kids and adults. You have to pay attention while learning new movements, and guess what? That engages, but not only engages, it also trains your brain. So what Rady recommends is exercising in the morning and if you take medication, he recommends that you take medication an hour to an hour and a half after exercising, which is when the spike in dopamine and norepinephrine will start to wane. Rady finds that if his patients exercise daily, guess what? They also need a lower dose of stimulant medication. So figure out the exercise piece first and then weave in the stimulant medication. Again, these are the same neurotransmitters that stimulant medication releases to help us pay attention and focus better. The recommendation is that you get your heart rate up to 75% of your maximum heart rate for about 30 minutes every day. Anecdotally, I've noticed that I get less benefit from exercise the lower my heart rate gets from that 75% of maximum. I also feel like um, the dopamine spike stays much longer than an hour to an hour and a half for me. I mean, I would suspect 
that it's probably somewhere around three hours. Again, it's anecdotal. It's just what works for me. The deal is you've got to go out there. You've got to exercise. Do, you know, exercise at 75% of your heart rate for 25, let's say 30 minutes just to be safe and then test and see how long is your focus at optimum. But there's more. I've mentioned in previous podcasts how much nicotine helps the ADHD brain focus, right? It's why uh, writers always seem to smoke, but we know that nicotine isn't good for you, right? It's addictive, but it's strange. It's a strange chemical because it works as a stimulant, but also as a relaxant at the same time. So you're stimulated, but you're also relaxed, right? Exercise fights the urge to smoke because guess what it does? It increases dopamine and it also lowers anxiety and stress. Exercise also staves off cravings for 50 or more minutes. So there's a much longer time between cigarettes or between, you know, wanting your next cigarette. It also turns out that exercise helps with self-regulation. When you're exercising, you're at the gym more, you smoke less, you drink less caffeine and alcohol, you eat less junk food, you make less impulsive purchases, and you lose your temper less. A fairly recent study published in 2020 indicates that exercise is associated with better executive function in university students. Executive functions include tasks like being able to focus and time management and planning, working memory, all things people with ADHDs typically struggle with, right? As you can imagine, exercise has also been shown to help with hyperactivity and excess energy. Look, when I'm really spinning, it's often the only thing that will work. It's why I have a home gym. Sometimes I need to read something and I'm just reading it over and over again and it is not sinking in. By the third time, I'm like, screw this. I will grab what I'm reading, my work, and I will go jump on the treadmill and I will read it there. And it never fails. If I can't understand what I'm reading at my desk, I can't understand what I'm reading when I'm on the treadmill. It's crazy. Okay, so what else? When you exercise, you also gain the benefit of improved mood and feelings of well-being because not only are you increasing dopamine and norepinephrine, but also happy hormones such as serotonin and endorphins. One study with 611,000 adults showed that physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of depression. You see, exercise affects the limbic system because it regulates the amygdala. Remember, that's where our emotion comes from. So exercise on a daily basis. There is a long-term brain benefit to exercise. Remember, the BDNF promotes the creation of new brain cells. So when you are exercising, you are growing your brain. 30 minutes is ideal, but less is better than not doing it at all, right? But choose the exercise that you're actually going to do. And I want to remind you that since motivation is biological, Start with the form of exercise that holds the most interest for you. What is it that you're most likely to do? And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. The best exercise also involves nature. Guess what? Nature and exercise, they both increase our dopamine and positive emotion. So if you can do them together, it's even better. The trifecta is exercise, but exercising outside first thing in the morning. So in episode number 148, 
I talk about, just like with sleep and our circadian clock, neuroplasticity is what will make it easier for you to get up earlier over time if you go to bed earlier, right? Your brain will change. So if you're going to bed earlier and exercising first thing in the morning, after a couple of days, you're going to naturally start to wake up earlier in the day and it'll get easier and easier, not just to wake up, but also to exercise. This is called an anticipatory circuit where you'll want to wake up at that earlier time. Your body's going to start looking forward to it, and it's going to start adjusting because of neuroplasticity. You'll also start looking forward to exercising at that time, to getting outdoors at that time. There's plasticity in these circuits, which it makes it easier and easier to do these things. And I am a testament to that. I used to work out in the evening. Remember, I was this gym rat. And then as my kids' schedules started to get more and more difficult, I realized that it was getting harder and harder to work out in the evening. And so I would miss a lot of workouts. And then when I initially read John Rady's book, Spark, everything kind of made sense and started to come together. That was probably three years ago, maybe going on three years ago. And I decided to do two things. What I did is I created a home gym so there would be no more excuses to my working out. And I started to work out in the morning. And I have to tell you, it was hard at first because it meant I had to get up earlier. But what I noticed was that whereas before I had always woken up happy and peaceful, over the last probably two years or so, I wasn't waking up like that. I was waking up often with this sense of dread. I was anxious, yet there was nothing to dread. And so I had tested my cortisol levels and they were really high, which I guess is very common in perimenopause. I think it's just all of the fluctuating hormones just completely screwed my system up. So once I started exercising, that dread resolved itself. Now, is it always perfect? No. There are some days that I wake up, I don't feel good. I have no idea why I don't feel good. But I know without fail that if I work out, I will always feel better when I'm done. So now there's never a question. I feel kind of like a robot on auto, right? I get up and I work out. It's just what I do. And I have made it so simple to do it. I just go upstairs to my little gym, right? So I've made it easy. So I do it, but it's also gotten easier because my brain has changed. Whereas when I first started working out in college for vanity today, I work out because I'm addicted to that good feeling. And so I expect that feeling. I want that feeling. I crave that feeling. I'm basically addicted to that good feeling in the morning. So without question, I always work out. It's not hard. It is the easiest thing. It's like second nature. I, I feel like I don't even have to push myself. I just sort of kind of like I said, that, that zombie, right, on auto, I just walk into the gym. So what else can I tell you? If you take medication, John Rady suggests taking the medication right when you start to feel the effects of the exercise wearing off, which makes perfect sense. You wouldn't want to take it in the morning and then exercise, right? You want to extend that good feeling. What else can I tell you? Okay, give yourself a reward. I allow myself to listen to audiobooks and podcasts that I wish I could listen to during the day, but I can't. I know for me, I don't run unless someone is chasing me, but 
ever since I did all that research for the Revenge Bedtime Procrastination webinar that I did for Attitude, I do try to get a little bit of nature in first thing in the morning to set my circadian clock for sleep reasons. Again, that was episode number 148, if sleep is a problem for you. You also have to find something that you like to do so you will do it. So again, and I mentioned this earlier, find out what is fun for you, right? Ask yourself, what do I actually have fun doing? What generates positive emotion for me? And even 15 minutes is better than nothing. And that's frankly how neuroplasticity allows you to change your brain. You know, I have a lot of students who they may say, okay, I want to start to exercise because I know that exercise makes me feel better, but they don't like being in a gym. They don't like running. They don't like biking, but what they do like is dancing, right? And so they'll either go take a dance class or, you know, during the height of COVID, they would just put on their favorite music. They would make a playlist and they would just dance around, you know, their apartment or their home. Whatever works for you, that is what you need to do. Because if you hate it, if there is so much negative emotion around it, you are not going to do it. Remember, Positive emotion is how we are successful. So do those things that make you feel good, and then you will continue to do them. Don't force yourself to do things that you hate to do. You're just not going to stick with it. One last comment that I just love. So research shows that the more fit you are, the better your brain functions cognitively and psychologically. So what does that mean? If you get your body in shape, your brain will follow. What if that is the only thing you do for 2022? Find a way to move that generates positive emotion and just focus on that. I think you can change your brain that way. And if that's not motivation to exercise more, I don't know what is. So that's what I have for you for the first week of our new year. One final reminder, if you struggle with planners, I have created one just for the ADHD brain. It's easy in and easy out. And so you'll actually use it and you can find it at spyhappy.me forward slash planner. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smart Ass Women. Every day I receive so many lovely messages thanking me for this podcast and I'll send a note back and Every darn time I forget to ask for a review on Apple Podcasts. So how about writing that review now? On your phone, scroll down to where it says ratings and reviews. You can tap the stars to rate it. And then right below that, it says write a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really help in that regard. Gold stars, baby. One more thing. If you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyotsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. 
I spy a happier life for us. And I'll see you again next week.